You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So, would you like to take a, a little while this morning and talk about sin? I think it could be very helpful. So, um, I wonder what you believe about sin. So if somebody asked you, give me a good working definition of sin. Do you kind of have that in your back pocket? Could you, could you share that? Do you, you kind of have this, you know, memorized definition where I could say, okay, this is what sin is. Would you have to work hard to come up with a definition? Let me ask you this. Do, do you believe there's a difference in original sin and, and personal sin? Sin committed by you as a person. And, and what would be the solution for the sin problem that we have? Is, is there a possibility for a follower of Jesus Christ to be made free from original sin? I've got a feeling as I'm kind of beginning this conversation, there might be somebody in front of me saying, hey, Pastor Rick, what if, what if I don't really know what it is that I do believe about sin? Because that's the series we're in right now. What if I don't know what I believe? So many of you would say, I've had a lot of practice at sin. Um, Maybe somewhere in my life I got really good at sinning, but, but as far as really being able to talk about what my beliefs are about sin, I don't have that down quite as well. And so here's what I want to do. I want to put a verse of Scripture on the screen for you, okay? And I want to read it to you, and um, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to assume that there's going to be a couple of reactions to this verse. So here Paul writes, believers who make up that church in Rome, those early Christians, that small congregation. And here's what he says, for we know, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Okay. So the person that I used to be before I came to know Jesus, I have crucified that person. That person is dead. All right. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And now my body, the life that I live is not ruled by sin that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So that there's no reason anymore that you or I need to be a slave to sin. Sin does not need to rule our lives. So I think there's two responses. I think there's some people in the room who are saying, you know what, Pastor Rick, because of God's great work in my life, I'm not taking credit. I'm just saying that God has done something powerful in me and, and I have crucified the old self by the grace of God, and sin no longer rules in my life, and I am no longer a slave to sin. And I am so thankful for God's work in me. I, I think the other response, the second response, is probably this. <laughs> wow! That sounds really good. Because right now in my life, Sin has a lot of power over me. And I feel like that I am a slave to sin many days. So how, how, does, sin, how does sin take place? How does sin become, become a reality in somebody's life? Now let me take you to another verse of Scripture. This is from James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. And here's what James says. This is, this is what happens. He says, each person is tempted, okay, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. All right, now I want to think with you for a minute about this concept of desire. It's all about what I want. 
It's about maybe even what I love. This is a desire. There's something in me that says, boy, this looks really good to me. I want some of that, okay? Each person is tempted when they are dragged away and by their own evil desire, and they are enticed. Then, he says, after desire has conceived, you know what happens when you give in to your desire? It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it brings about death. And so the, the idea is that, that, that here's how sin actually comes to birth in a person's life. A person says, wow, that looks really good to me. Or this is something I really want to do. Or I really want to give this person a piece of my mind. I mean, what I want to do is this. And finally, when a person is enticed, dragged away by desire, and they finally give in to the desire, then all of a sudden sin is born in a person's heart. Now here's what I want to say to you this morning. Have some really good news. Because of the gospel, because of Jesus, because of His death on the cross and His resurrection, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, you do not have to be ruled by sin any longer. Sin does not have to reign over you any longer. You do not have to be slaves to sin. You don't have to, I mean, this is the holiness message. Listen to me. You don't have to just drop your shoulders and your head and say, there's nothing I can do. I'm just bound to sin, something awful all of my life. No, there's really good news. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. So, so what do we believe about sin? Let me, let me give you an article of faith that we share in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm going to put it on the screen and I'm going to read it to you, okay? It says, we believe, this is just kind of official, this is officially what we as Nazarenes believe about sin. We believe that sin came into the world through the disobedience of our first parents. We're referring to Adam and Eve there, okay? We're back in chapter 3 in the book of Genesis. We believe that sin came into the world through the disobedience. Remember, they ate the fruit in the garden where God said, don't eat the fruit from this particular tree of our first parents. And sin by, and death rather, by sin. We believe that sin is of two kinds. What's the first kind? Original sin or depravity. And that's what we're talking about when we say sin came into the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they ate the forbidden fruit. But we also believe there is actual or personal sin. So you say, Rick, what do we mean by actual or personal sin? Look at the screen. We believe that actual or personal sin is a voluntary, this is a great definition of sin, okay? A voluntary violation of a known law of God by a morally responsible person. We believe that actual or personal sin is a voluntary violation of a known law of God by a morally responsible person. Okay, what are we saying? You're aware that there is something that I really want. It's a desire. Okay? I want that. May not be right, but I want it. Maybe God already said no, but I want it. And when I determine in my heart that I'm going to go there anyway, I'm going to do that anyway, 
It's a violation of what I know to be against God's will. That's sin. Okay? So grab a Bible. Let me take you to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll start with verse 1. Okay? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. I want you to leave here today knowing more about what you believe about sin with the desire to learn more about what you believe. Okay? So here's what's going on in Genesis chapter 3. We refer to this section as the fall. Now, the serpent, in ancient Semitic writing, a reptile was often associated with the demonic force, okay? So, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from him. And the Lord God, among the trees of the garden, rather. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, "Um, I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, "Um, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Fear, hiding, shame, guilt. Shifting guilt, separation from God, spiritual death. This is the Word of God for the people of God. I was um, at an event a couple of weeks ago, and um, I watched this man step to the... um, to the center of the platform. And there were about as many people there as there are here, a couple of thousand folks. And his hands were shaking as he held a tablet in front of him. And uh, from the tablet, he told his life story. It was a sad story. He said, um, you know, for 35 years, I lived my life 
and I'll use his language, okay? As a drunk. For 35 years, he said I was drunk. I was empty inside. I was very ashamed of what I'd become. We raised a daughter. Her name is Stormy. And growing up in the home of a drunk, her life was stormy. But he said, when my daughter became an adult, she started going to a church. And he said, she met the real Jesus. And he changed her life. He said, I remember Stormy would come to see me. I have some really bad memories of her visits. I, I remember one time I was, I was falling down drunk. I, I tried to stand, but I couldn't. I kept going all the way down to my knees. I finally tried to lean against the door frame inside my house. And even leaning against the door frame, I still went down to my knees. And I would try to pull myself up. And I remember Stormy looking into my eyes as she's trying to help me off my knees back up to lean against the door frame. And he said that day, I remember thinking that her eyes were filled with both compassion and disgust. But the reason Stormy kept coming to my house is because she kept inviting me to church. For three years, he said Stormy would come by the house. And every time she would come by the house, she would invite me to go to church. And after three years of her relentless inviting me to church, refusing to give up. Finally, one Sunday, I went to church with her. He said, I remember when I walked in the building, I felt so ashamed. I assumed everyone there would probably judge me. But that wasn't what I found. I didn't feel judgment at all. In fact, I felt love. And I felt God, and I felt His love. And he said, I became a follower of Jesus and he completely has transformed my life and he has set me free from alcohol. Does it just blow your mind sometimes what God can do for a person? What a change he can make in a person's life. He says, to date, my wife and I have been on four missions trips. And for six years now, I have lived as a sober man. It's just amazing. Let, let, let me tell you something, okay? There, there's a real important reason why we want to talk about the fact that your life does not have to be ruled by sin. And that really important reason is because there is an enemy who wants to destroy you. And the tool that he uses to destroy you is sin, okay? And keeping you down for 35 years is not what he has in mind at all. He wants to completely devour you because that's what the Bible says. Let me show you this verse. First Peter chapter 5, maybe verse 8. I'm trying to remember the reference now. 5, 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, did you know you have an enemy? Your enemy, the devil. He tells you who your enemy is. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion and he's looking for somebody to devour. So you understand it's not just a matter of keeping you down for a while. 35 years is not enough in his mind. He wants to destroy you. Let me show you what Jesus says about the devil, okay? This is from John chapter 8, verse 44. I'll put these words up too. The devil, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. 
I always tease you that I speak Kentucky, and I kind of do. But he speaks a language, and his language is lying. For he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. And Jesus says about the devil, there is no truth in him. And so what does the devil do when he meets Eve in the Garden of Eden? What does he say? He tells a lie. Notice back at the text again, what does he say? Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He completely misquotes. He completely is deceiving. He knows that's not what God said, but he tells lies. That's what he does. That's his nature. He's a liar. And there's people in the room looking at me right now saying, Hey, Rick, he lied to me. He told me things would make me happy. He told me things would make my life full. And it was all a lie. I believed it. I went for it, and it ruined my life. Because that's what the enemy does. He lies. He's deceitful. He tells lies. And so Eve responds. He didn't say we can't eat from any tree. He said we could eat from any tree. But there's one tree that we could not eat from, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if we eat from that, God said we would die. I've said this to you maybe, maybe 20 times. I, I want to say it to you 20 more times. The only reason God ever says no to you is because it is not good for you. The only reason God will ever say no to you is because it is not good for you. God never says no to you because He wants to keep you down. He wants to bring you up. God never says no because He doesn't want your life to be full. God wants your life to be full and abundant. The only reason God will ever say no is because it is bad for you. And He wants your life to be full. And He wants you to live the best life possible. And so the enemy lies again. No, you're not going to die. He accuses God of this false motive. You know why God's telling you that? God's telling you that because if you eat from this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will know good from evil. See, that's, that's the great sin. That's maybe the only sin. I want to be like God. I want to rule my own domain. I want to be in charge. I want to do what I want to do. I want to fulfill my what? My desires, my wants. I don't want somebody else running my life. I want to run my life. I want to do what I want to do. That's, that's basic sin. So what are we going to do with this? Because we're going to have to leave here before long. And the truth is, we don't sit in church seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We're only here for a little while, and we're going to leave. So what are we going to do when we leave? A few weeks ago, I was here at an event on Sunday night in the atrium, and Gary Bands was speaking. And Gary told a story about 9-11 that I'd never heard, a story I was unaware of. If I'd heard it, I'd forgotten it. But on 9-11-2001, when terrorists were flying planes into the World Trade Center and 
the Pentagon and the intention of flying a plane into the White House. Then Lieutenant, let me make sure I've got her name right for you so I don't mislead you, Heather Penny was the pilot of an F-16 jet fighter plane. And here were her orders along with another pilot, Mark... Yeah, I thought I had those names down, but I don't. I think we've got to give these people credit, though. Sasselville. They were both ordered to get in their F-16s, go into the air... Because Flight 93, United Flight 93, was headed back toward what they thought was the White House. Or back toward something in Washington, D.C. And here was their goal. Take the plane down. Okay? You with me? You following me? They're at Andrews Air Force Base. Get in your planes. Fly toward United Flight 93 and take the plane down. There's one detail that you're not aware of. Because of the urgency, there was no time to equip the plane with live ammunition. So here's how you're going to take it down. You're going to ram it with your plane. We're sending two to make sure it happens in case there's a miss. So Heather Penny gets in her plane, her F-16 and so does Sasseville. And they begin to fly toward Flight 93, knowing that their mission is to ram the plane with their plane. Now, you know the end of the story. The heroes on the plane got on their cell phones to understand what was happening in America, and they tried to take over the plane, but in trying to take over the plane, the plane crashed. When somebody asked Heather Penny afterwards, who is now a major, why were you so willing to engage yourself in this kamikaze mission? You know what her response was? There are some things in this world that are more important than ourselves. And she talked about her willingness to do this for others. When the enemy comes to you, like he came to Eve, here's what he does. He says, I know what's important to you, and what's important to you is what you want, what you desire. And so what he does is he tempts us at that point of our desires. Now, Paul talked to the Romans, I read you earlier, about this other idea. What if you surrendered all of your desires? What if the old you with all of those desires and wants was just dead, no longer alive, and you no longer lived a life ruled by sin, and no longer were you a slave by sin, being controlled by those desires? What if you just gave up all of those wants? And you surrendered yourself to the will of God. Because the enemy knows. That's where he could get you. And so what does he do to Eve? He comes to Eve and he talks about desire, right? Hey, Eve, you know, there's some fruit. 
Well, God said we can't eat that fruit or we will die. Oh, come on, Eve. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Eve saw that the fruit was pleasing for food. Oh, man, do you understand this idea? Do you understand how we are tempted at the point of our appetites? Do you get it, the one about food? I get it, right? I walked into a meeting the other day. I wasn't in that room 12 seconds, and I realized there's a donut box at 2 o'clock. Right over here tomorrow, there are donuts. I'm talking to somebody and I'm trying to stay focused, but I'm wanting to look over to see if there's chocolate on any of those donuts, you know, because I've already said I shouldn't eat a donut, but if, if there's chocolate on one of them, then that would be really hard, right? I love chocolate icing. And I kept positioning myself a bit and trying to nod and act like I'm interested, but really I'm wondering if there might be a donut with chocolate icing and nuts, because if there is chocolate icing and nuts, I just think that's the Lord saying, go ahead. I mean, I I put your donut right there for you, you know. I mean, I understand this idea of being tempted when it comes to an appetite for food. Do you? Come on, do you? He yields the appeals to another appetite, aesthetic, okay? She saw that it was pleasing to the eye, the Scripture says, that I read you a moment ago. And that looks good to me. I'm not going to lie. That glitters, that glistens. It just downright appeals to me. Why do we sell cars and buy shinier cars? Because I like the way that one looks. That's pleasing to the eye. Why do we sell houses and buy other houses? Because I like the way this house, I mean, this house appeals. I mean, there's real aesthetic appeal to that house. There's a lot of things that look good in our lives. And so he not only appeals to her appetite for food, but her appetite for this really looks good, Eve. And then he appeals to another appetite, an appetite for power and wisdom. She saw that it was good for gaining wisdom. I mean, didn't your mama always tell you you were born for more? Now that, that's got my attention. So just between you and me, what you do with your appetites and desires will determine the direction of your life. It's choosing a path. Either you will rule them or they will rule you. And you can't rule them. Only by the grace of God can you have power over them. I mean... Right now, if I just said to you, can you think of somebody who was ruled by an appetite, a desire, and it was the downfall of their life? You would name names. This person loved money so much, Pastor Rick. You know, this person wanted recognition so bad, Pastor. Sex was so important in this person's life, Pastor. I mean, you could just name names. And they were ruled by their appetite. And it was the end of them. What happened to so-and-so? Oh, they had such a desire for. And it was the end of them. How you handle appetite and desire determines 
the direction and the quality of your life. What if you just pulled a Heather penny? What if you just came to this place by God's grace and His work in you that you were able to say, it's not about what I want. It's not about me. It's about what God wants. I surrender my whole life. I'm all in. I'm 100%. If it costs me my life, I don't care what it costs me, I surrender everything to God, even my desires and my wants. The reason I think that's so important that we take that step is because if you continue the story, she eats some of the fruit and then she gives some to her husband and he eats some of the fruit, right? And then they hide from God and they are afraid and they are ashamed and that's what they say. We're hiding because we're ashamed and we were afraid. And then there is this placing guilt on someone else and all of this that goes with it and then there is where you end up because sin never produces what it promises. The enemy never gives you what he says he will give you. He promises you life. Hey, you should do this. You deserve this. I mean, this was going to make your life full, right? You deserve to live a little. And what it really brings is death. And now what do you do? Well, there's really good news. Jesus died on a cross. And he on that cross took our sins upon himself. And he offers you forgiveness for your sins. And he was raised from the dead and he offers you this new life. And so you can be forgiven of your sin, your personal sin, actual sin, sins that you've committed. But what do you do with original sin? Because in this article of faith, we talk a lot about how that we are bent towards sin, how we lean towards sin, how we are inclined toward evil, and that continually... And we have another article of faith that I'll share with you as we move through this series, which says, we believe entire sanctification is that act of God that frees man from original sin. Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And go back in the sermon just a minute. And so as I surrender myself by God's grace, he brings me to that place of full surrender. Like Heather Penny that says, it's not about me or what I want. It's about what God wants for me, okay? And when I empty myself of my own wants and desires, I become this empty vessel to be filled with the Spirit of God, His Holy Spirit. And all of that is provided by the blood of Jesus. Made possible because of Jesus. And that's the really good news. You don't have to live a life ruled by sin. You don't have to be a slave to sin. That's what I believe about sin. What do you believe? So here's what we're going to do. In, in a moment, we're going we're to stand together, and I'm going to ask um, the band to come up, and, and we're going to sing before we go, okay? If you guys would come on up. 
And uh, there's times I love it when we can just take some time to pray before we go. So you can pray where you're seated. We have altars here. And, um, and, and an altar really is, is a place where you pray, where you talk to God. Um, altars in the Old Testament was, were places of sacrifice. So, so what if you came to the altar today and said, Lord, I will become a sacrifice today. My whole life I put on this altar. I surrender my whole life to you. I give my whole life to you. All of my desires and wants, I surrender them today. And I become this human sacrifice. I'm all yours. So if early on your response was, Pastor Rick, sin often rules my life. I feel like sometimes I'm a slave to sin. I guess what I'm saying, if you want to respond to the Word of God today, I think that's a great thing to do. Just come in a minute when we start to sing. If you need to be forgiven of sin, you can be forgiven of sin. The truth is you can be born again. Jesus offers this new birth. I'm talking about a new life in Jesus. I'm talking about being raised to this new life with Jesus. Awesome. It may be that you say, I have been forgiven of my sin. I've been saved. But I struggle still. I believe I need to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. I need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. I need that sanctified life you talked about a moment ago. So I would just say to you, come. In a moment when we stand and begin to sing, just take a very brave step. Walk down the aisle. Kneel here. Pray. There'll be pastors. And I'll just ask almost every pastor in the room to come and and stand on each side. And they'll just be available for you. and, And they'll pray with you. If you want them to pray with you, just go to one of them. You'll see them standing there. In fact, pastors might want to come now, if you will. Just go to one of those pastors and say, would you pray with me? They'd be glad to do that. Also realize that there are other needs here today. And so I want to be very sensitive to those. It may be that you would want to come and pray today for a physical concern. You need God's touch on your body. You need healing. And there are pastors here to pray for you. And they will anoint you and ask God to touch you. It may be that you have a friend that you want to pray for. Maybe you come with family needs today and you want to pray for family you got a son or a daughter that is living a life in sin and you want to see them free from sin and you want to come and pray for them today. You can come and pray for them. You're going through a tough time. Maybe as a family you're going through a tough time and you want to come and just kneel here and just find grace this morning and find God's healing power in your life. For whatever reason you want to pray this morning, if you just feel like, man, I wish I could just find some grace and help today from the Father. Just don't hesitate. Just come. Let's stand together. Let's pray before we go. I need some pastors over here on this side if you will come and stand too.
we go, uh, let me offer this blessing, okay? So sometimes I think it's good to physically hold your hands out. Uh, kind of helps you understand I'm receiving something here. So would you just lift your arms out? So here's my prayer for you and the blessing that I offer you today. May the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.